1: In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you can that you can be. Welcome everybody to another episode
2: of As Tolled by Nomads and today's episode is with Scott Mounts. Did you know that 70% of us have lost the love and feeling at work and we feel uninspired and feeling uninspired can kill you productivity and promise. So that's why Scott's new book, Find the Fire, Reminds us of what it is like to actually have that fire and find that fire in your workplace. I love the fact that he's uh, he's diving into this and he's using Greek mythology to show us how we can actually learn how to drain all those negative forces and rediscover the things that inspire us. Welcome to
0: the show, Scott. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Love it.
2: Uh, the, the pleasure is mine. Uh, your, your story is fascinating. You've led several of uh, Procter & Gamble's largest multi-billion dollar businesses before you became an award-winning speaker and then author and now you have your, your business here so you've you've had um success on <clears throat> several levels uh corporate and as a thought leader so i'm curious as to those ups and downs that led to that to that path and how you really became uh, this uh influential individual
0: ah well well uh good question And it's been, uh, boy, it's been a lot of fun and a good uh, rocket ride. And, you know, what's interesting is uh, I worked at Procter & Gamble for 23 years, and I worked at Citicorp, Citibank five years before that. So I have almost three decades of corporate experience under my belt. So I've had a chance to learn a lot along the way, learn from my mistakes and things like that. I think that the single most important thing that was intriguing to me as I was going through this, uh, my corporate career was, the simple fact, I found out early in my career that, you know, Gallup does this poll every over other year just about that measures the level of engagement in the corporate world. And it always, it never ceases to amaze me that the numbers aren't getting any better. They're, on average, when they do it across the globe, 70% of the global workforce can be coded as disengaged. That's seven zero can be coded as disengaged and 20% amongst that 70% can be coded as they're actually <laughs> actively disengaged, which means they're engaging in sabotaging behaviors in the workplace. And what was so interesting, you know, first of all, that fascinated me. And I felt like within the business units I was running that, that didn't apply though. So I must've been doing something right because the the, the businesses were growing And much more importantly, the businesses that I ran, we we were creating a a spirit within it that really was fulfilling, kept people motivated, uh, kept people uh, feeling like it was a meaningful work experience for them that they could look back on many years later. And so that really fascinated me. And I began to do research and more research and more research on what is that really motivates us as human beings uh, over the long haul. And it it became such a fascinating for me, I began to talk about it within the corporate world at Procter & Gamble. And I began to write about it. And one thing led to another. And I got asked to talk more and more about what really motivates us over the long haul. And I got asked to speak about it more and more. And lo and behold, that I, I realized that um, something was, was calling me. And then I thought that I might be able to go do the speaking thing and writing thing you know, full time. And once that became clear, about a year ago I made the leap and uh you know I'll tell you what Tayo I haven't looked back since then.
2: You know I love your story because you you a lot of the listeners here uh especially to this podcast and they're in various continents various countries they always there's always that crossroads in their life where they they're almost afraid of their own potential and they don't start because of that they're like well what if someone sees me as this or what if someone thinks I'm that and you while working, found that you were this thought leader, or you were the you had thoughts about this, and because you pursued that, you ended up being um, able to leverage that into an individual opportunity where you help multiple companies. What 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 can you say to others that are dealing with that bravery to be vulnerable, that that bravery to to show and share their knowledge, and how can you get people to actually get in touch with that passion?
0: Super question, Tayo. You know, and it's so interesting. I wrote an article on this. Um, I I write for Inc. Magazine. I also write in LinkedIn, and I wrote an article called "You Know I Left My Corporate Job and These Eight Things Became Clear," and it soon surpassed over a million shares, and it it was like the top-ranking article on Inc. and and for the for a couple of days. The reason I share that, I, I don't have I have like zero ego. It's for your listener to tell you this. Something must have really resonated in that article with so many people that are looking for the prompts and the bravery to go make the leap from what they're doing and and give a try at being, at taking what they become experts at and and sharing it. And some of the things I shared in that article were, you know, a a couple, you know, so what became clear after I left my corporate life? First of all, you know, there's two things that will be the death of us. Number one, death. (laughs) Number two, (laughs) meetings. I realized (laughs) How much time was wasted in meetings and now having left the corporate life, you know, I don't worry about minutia and micromanagement and masquerading. Uh, and I realized that the flexibility that becoming a, an entrepreneur and, and sharing what I've learned is intoxicating. You know, I learned that while I missed most of the people from corporate life, I missed none of the processes and how quickly we become over processed in the corporate world and that it's not it doesn't feed our soul when we get caught into that. I, you know, I, I, in reflection, I, I learned that it's, you know, it's not about being impressive. It's about making an imprint on the world. And, you know, in the corporate life, I think so many of us can get caught up trying to make an impression on the chain of command and we lose sight of what well, we're just, we're there to be our authentic selves and try to make an imprint and try to do something that matters in the time we're granted as a human being. So, so in reflection, I can tell you that if for those of your listeners that are thinking about making the leap, as long as you have a financial plan to do it, man, there's an awful lot of people that agreed with my article that 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 what happens when you do it's in it's intoxicating and it can really be really be fulfilling.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for sharing. What's the name of that article, just in case anyone's curious about it?
0: Oh yeah, if you want to check that out, it's called. Uh, you can find it on Inc. Uh, that article by me, Scott Mautz, M-A-U-T-Z, it's uh, I Left My Corporate Life and These Eight Things Became Clear. I uh, oh, think yeah. that could be of service to your listener.
2: I love it. I love it. I love that you said Zed too. I'm Nigerian. I, I initially grew Oh, up. I know. <laughs> Before, <laughs> I used to say Zed is, and now I say Z. So now you said Zed. Is, so I'm like, I should say Zed.
0: <laughs> this is a global podcast here at Dio's. <laughs>
2: Oh, I love it. So, okay. This is, I I run a diversity and inclusion firm with uh, my business partner and we go into companies. And a lot of what we deal with is what you're talking about in the book, employee disengagement. And, you know, the most fascinating thing is we spend most of our life, um, in school or at work and ends up being work for most of our lives for a majority of people. And if you can't come to work being fully yourself, uh, fully motivated, that becomes a really sad, sad thing to think about. If, if and, uh, and if maybe that's something leader or that's something from internally, I'm, I'm always curious about ways to disrupt that because I think that's such a sad thing where you have to compartmentalize yourself when you go here for eight to 10 hours a day and then be someone else at home. I, I'm wondering what you feel like with your, and you have nine anti-muses can help, um, you know, rectify that, uh, you know, anti-joy feeling?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a super question, Tyo, and I'll, I'll I'll set up a little bit um, for your listener what I mean, you know, what I mean by the anti-muses. Uh, so first of all, you're referencing um, my new book that's come out on October 12th, Find the Fire, uh, how in the subtitle to that, you know, Ignite Your Inspiration and Make Work Exciting Again, and the premise is, is simply this, and I'll get right out to your point on the anti-muses. The, pre- the premise is simply this, as you opened up with You know, first of all, you're not alone. If you've kind of lost that loving feeling for work, you know, that's true of 70% of us, uh, which I know some people have a hard time swallowing that statistic, but that's not my opinion. It's research and it's just true. And, you know, many people say, well, I'm just going to wait around for, you know, my boss is in charge of that. You know, how my boss feels and acts, that's what makes me feel good about myself. And, you know, the truth is 55% or higher of us say that you know the thing we want most from our boss is for them to be inspiring and yet when you you ask people okay I got it so is your boss inspiring like 11 percent will say yeah so there's a huge gap there so if you're waiting around for inspiration and that sense of passion in your work to fall back into your lap again unfortunately the odds are it's not gonna happen and so many people feel mystified by it though yeah but this inspiration is such a mysterious source and, you know, isn't it just for, you know, monks in the mountains of Tibet? And doesn't it just appear when it wants to appear? And the core message I have here is not necessarily. What I've learned through decades of research is that inspiration can actually be codified and coaxed, that you really can create the conditions for yourself where your inspiration is much more likely to occur. And, and here's why. This is where Greek mythology comes in that we're both such big fans of, Tao. Greek mythology, first of all, teaches us that there are nine muses. The god Zeus and his wife, Sianome, had nine daughters, and they were known as the nine muses. And, you know, people have heard of muses before, Tyo, you know, um, the, the, those magical forces, those goddesses that whisper in the artist's ear to give them the inspiration to create that incredible song or to create that incredible sonnet if you're a poet. And they they lord over all kinds of factions of art and science. And the word music came from the concept of the muses, as does the museum, which is a warehouse of all the creative output that is created when the muses whisper in one's ear. Well, my theory here is, okay, let's imagine for just a second that those muses are a real thing and they exist in the real world. And if they did, the truth is, imagine for a minute then that there are nine anti muses, nine forces that drain the inspiration out of our life and that really just suck that, that joy and create that what you call Tile the anti joy feeling. Anti joy feeling <laughs> at, at, at work, which I think is, you know, hundred percent accurate for, for many people. And what's so interesting about this, um, and then I'll 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 steer into the nine muses, is many people assume, okay look, if I'm going to pull myself out of my malaise here, if I'm going to get myself unstuck, what I have to do is ask myself, you know, well, what inspires me? And then I'm going to go do more of that. Well, the problem with asking that question is, you know, when you stop and think, what inspires me? Here's the problem. The answers to those questions are are going to be probably fairly passive. They're things you have to wait to happen. They're going to be elusive, which means you're going to be waiting a long time for very specific scenarios for that inspiration to show up. Or... When they do happen, they're going to be repressed by your corporate environment or by that soul-sucking boss. So the much better question for your listeners to ask themselves, instead of what inspires me when they're feeling down, is how did I lose my inspiration in the first place? What happened when I started in my job, inspiration was everywhere. It was very naturally occurring. You didn't have to work hard at feeling passionate about your job and feeling inspired when you started. This is where the nine anti-muses enter. When you ask yourself, how did I lose my inspiration in the first place? It's because of these nine anti-muses, these nine forces. Uh, and if it's okay with you, I'll dip into a little bit to what the, who those anti-muses are if uh, if you're ready for that title. Uh, I'm so ready, Scott. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, now, you get, you get this is not my opinion. This is over two decades of research of me being connected with leading universities and some of the foremost experts in the study of inspiration all over the world. And what I can tell you is there there are 9 animuses. The The first and maybe the most potent is fear, and more specifically, the fear of failure. And uh, in my book, I, I teach how to overcome the fear of failure, how to overcome a fear of change, a fear of criticism. Uh, and I'll give you a sample of the nine muses because you, you probably don't want me to laundry list, go through all of them, but I'll give you a couple of other ones. Oh,
2: no, no, I do. I, I, this oh, is, this oh is fantastic.
0: Great <laughs> oh, okay, great, great. Okay, so the 2nd the animus is settling in boredom, whether we choose through our own choices to plateau and we become bored and we realize we're not learning and growing and we decide, okay, I can live with that. Or if it's assigned to us. And what I mean by that is you might be in a job where you're like, okay, I'm ready to learn and grow. I'm ready for new challenges. You know, I'm ready uh, for a new opportunity and the company isn't affording you those opportunities. So you have plateaued. Well, there's things you can do to embolden yourself to take more risks and to start learning and growing again. So settling in boredom is a huge anti-muse. The third anti-muse I'll talk about is inundation, which means being overwhelmed, overworked, and overtired. And I often say that, you know, inundation has become like, uh, you know, the new trend. It's like the new black in uh, society today for, uh, you know, for people, the new color black of like, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah I'm I'm on trend because I am so busy right now and I'm overwhelmed and I'm overworked and what really happens is that that adds up in a big way and over time you realize you're doing a horrible job of prioritizing horrible job of making choices you continually procrastinate you haven't learned how to push back you're you become a perfectionist um in the face of all of this inundation and what happens is it absolutely drains our sense of feeling inspired at work because we're just overwhelmed uh, another uh, anti-muse is the loss of control. When we simply feel like, my God, what has happened? I'm no longer in control of the outcomes in my life. I no longer am able to make choices. I have like zero autonomy in my in my world here, in my work world and in my life. And I've somehow managed to give away all my power. And that is this is a huge one, particularly emotional for people when they realize that. They've lost control in their life, and many studies have shown. In fact, I just came across another study in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology that shows we want autonomy in our life more than any other factor. It's the number one factor that correlates with happiness. And when we don't have that autonomy, when we feel like we're not in control, you can, you can count on passion will exit out the side door in your work. Uh, we're, so we're on, uh, moving on quickly, touching on the fifth uh, muse, which is dwindling self-belief. And this is where mm. we realize, oh, my gosh. Yes, yes. My, and this strikes many, many people. My confidence is getting battered. Yes. I'm a shell of the person I I used to be. I used to be able to persevere in the face of challenges, and uh, I don't believe as much in myself anymore, and I'm I'm not able to do that as much. I'm not as present in the moment with people as I am anymore because I – I'm not as certain that what I have to offer is something they're going to want to consume and and listen to. Uh, I don't feel as respected as I used to in the past. And so what you learn over time is these little things chip away at you, that little comment that your boss makes in front of other people in a key meeting, the the little aside you get from a coworker that wasn't meant to be anything, but you take it personal. These things add up and chip away at our self-belief, and there's ways to push back on that. Uh, the uh, and by all means, tile interrupt at any time. The sixth anti-muse um, that I've uncovered is, you know, just a sense of disconnectedness, and this is one of the sadder ones because as human beings, we rely on relationships so fundamentally. And what happens is we can get into a work environment where we can feel like a, a stranger amongst a crowd. Yeah. Uh, we lose connection with our coworkers. Perhaps we move into a new team. They never really accept us for who we are and what we offer. We we introduce uncertainty. And that uncertainty threatens the clear prototype to which all the people in the existing team have assimilated themselves to. So they begin to look at you as a newcomer, as a threat, not because of your personality and your ideas per se, but because of the uncertainty and the risk you pose to that shared social identity they've created in their own team. We can quickly become disconnected from all of those people, like you said right up front, tile. all of those people we spend time with, we spend so much time at work now and when we do it's punishing for that sense of passion that we feel at work, and you can fight back against that and I talk about how to do that in uh, in find the fire yeah um wow. durth uh dirt at creating is a, is another one, another anti muse and this one's this is really interesting tile because wait. it's at so creativity yeah, yeah, so uh, said another way um you know your creativity just evaporates and you wake up one morning and you realize i i like I don't even use my creative brain anymore. I stopped outputting interesting stuff. You know, there's a reason why. uh, There's a fad um, and I know this to be true of the United States. I don't know if this is true globally, Tyle, but there's something called adult coloring books. It's an actual category. It's a real thing where adults can buy coloring books and um, express themselves creatively through, um, you know, through the use of these coloring books and they become incredibly massive sellers. Well, there's a reason for that. There's a reason that that category exists. There's a reason why it's growing so fast and why, you know, why so many people have embraced it because so many people have lost that spirit of creativity. And across the thousands of interviews I did for, uh, for Find the Fire, uh, I, I would say by far the most emotional people got was like in the middle of the interview with me, Tyle, like in the middle of the interview, they would pause and say, wait a minute. I just realized what's eating at me. I stop outputting creative things to the world. I stop giving expressions of who I am and what I stand for. And my unique imprint has been meshed down and run over by this corporation that I work in. And it's heartbreaking to hear when it happens, but it happens to probably far too many of us. And it's related to the eighth anti-muse of the nine um, that I talk about in the book, which is insignificance. And this one may be the most fundamentally devastating other than fear, operating with fear at work, which is you realize you're
2: Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress
0: website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content and Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress
1: wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com/wondersuite.
0: To be honest, just doesn't really matter that much to the company and to what you're trying to do. the, 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 the significance of the output is lost in your pursuit of success. So, you may be successful in your job you may not be as significant as you would really want to be. You're not leading things that only you could lead. You're not making an imprint on things that matter to you in, in truly that matter to you that are meaningful uh, and then the last one, one of the more complex and I muses uh, the ninth one, the ninth source that sucks our inspiration out of our work and makes passion exit out the other side, is what I call a lack of evocation meaning inspiration is often evoked from us something in our environment causes us to be inspired by something rather than it coming from within we're inspired by something you're inspired by a amazing boss you're inspired by a vision in the company that is truly profound like many facebook and google employees are well what happens when you're not inspired by anything in your job what happens when nothing is evoking inspiration from you that's where this ninth anti-muse comes in and starts to whisper negatively in your ear and draw the inspiration out and all of a sudden you realize I've got a lot of forces working against me here so in this chapter you know I talk about how you can actually evoke inspiration from your surroundings how you can actually for example turn that soul-sucking boss perhaps you can turn that relationship around to at least make them neutral or perhaps even a source of inspiration in your life farther on down the road so so thank you for allowing me to walk through uh, all nine of the anti-muses. They're all very real. This is not my opinion. This is uh, decades of research. And, uh, that's why I'm so passionate, Tayo, about getting on shows like this to, to help people understand that despite all of those issues I just discussed, all of those anti-muses, you can control and understand what causes, create, uh, causes inspiration and you can create the conditions to bring it back.
2: So I have so many questions. That's why I wanted, <laughs> that's why I wanted you to go, and if, you know, even if we start with the first one, if I'm looking back at my um, my particular journey, I, I, that was the first fear I had—the fear of failure. Right? I, I was—I'm the oldest of three boys. I'm in a foreign country. I've lived in all these countries, and you know, what is considered success is really getting. Being that lawyer, engineer, doctor in an Ivy League school, that would be considered success, so that we can boast about you to your family and extended family members. And <laughs> I, and you know, that wasn't anything with that, that I necessarily wanted to do. I wanted to, you know, sort of be that mix of, with of my idols, which were Nelson Mandela, late Nelson Mandela, and Oprah Winfrey. So I just had that. I remember I had that fail, fear of failure. I just don't didn't want to fail anyone uh, because I had all these responsibilities. And then I had a near death experience, and then my fear of failure all all of a sudden went away, and it became fear of not achieving my potential. Now mm. I, I don't want anyone to have to go through a near death experience <laughs> to have to realize that <laughs> that fear of failure can be uh, crippling. So when you were saying that, I was like, man, a lot of us have this inflated idea that if we fail, it's such a bad thing, and that and we give so much power to it. Instead of actually developing ourselves to, to do what we actually love, we are giving so much power to that fear of failure. So when you were saying that, um, I was like, man, yeah, yeah, Scott, Scott, is, Scott is on board. And then that obviously leads to settling. And then we create this um, awareness or environment where we are so, quote unquote, busy, but we're not being effective. Um, and then we don't schedule our priorities. Instead, we just do what's on our agenda. Instead right. of scheduling your priorities, you just do what's on your agenda. Um, and then you lose control because you've already, you know, you just do what's on your agenda. You didn't schedule any priority. And then the dwindling self-belief. Oh, that, that This is when I almost fell off my chair. <laughs> so, <laughs> because right. we ha- we live in a world where people don't realize how awesome and extraordinary they are. And the world, if we were taught that there only is a select few extraordinary people, only a select few geniuses, only a select few people can do that. But Everything that's created is created by humans here around us, and and, yes. and and some humans just decided that they were just going to be the ones to do something. And 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 you, for example, even with your career, by conventional standards, you were doing successfully and extremely well. I mean, you were Procter Gamble, you were all these places. But I'm sure some people were thinking, "Wait, why? Why? What are you trying to do? You're going to be a thought leader now, and you transcended that, and 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 that bravery." Even though you might not think it's bravery, but to actually say, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to settle one. I'm just going to go on and, and do what I feel like I'm most uniquely suited for, despite the world thinking I'm the successful person, is, uh, is probably a lot of things that came out of your, you know, being creative and, um, feeling significant. You wanted to make sure that your work felt, uh, mattered. So I just basically gave a summary of everything you did, but it was, as you were saying all that, it, it makes sense. And it's such an, uh, it's like a timeline. <laughs> And yeah, then, and, yeah. it goes into that. You know,
0: one thing, Tyle I wanted to build on um, that, you know, you, you really hit home on is that how much of this starts with fear, you know, how how much of the root of what drains the passion from our, our work starts at fear. So with your permission, can I touch on that for just a minute and maybe give a little bit of advice to your listeners on, because it's at the core of so much of this, please do, how they can, yeah. Okay. So there's just um, a couple of things about fear, you know, People have to understand that it, it disrupts the preparation of our mind for being inspired. When you're living in fear of failure, of change, of criticism, it is very difficult to catch those little signals, those wisps in the universe that are trying to inspire us. Fear blocks the action that we want to take in our heart. It, it dissuades discovery and growth and it engages, and this is maybe the most important point, it engages our brain in the wrong conversation so that the advice I'd have for your listeners on how to push back on the on the fear of failure starts really with reframing and having a different internal dialogue about that fear that you're experiencing and I'll give you just a few few examples a few pieces of advice you can and your listeners can reframe how they think about fear for example what if I told you that there's really only three ways to fail when you quit when you don't improve, or when you never try? What if I told you that failure is an event, not a person? I can't tell you, Tyo, how many people that I um, coach or how many people come up to me after a keynote address and, and they, they talk about the failures they've had in their life and they associate it with them and their definition of who they are rather than viewing that failure as a one-time event that happened in our life. And I usually counter with, you have to remember, failure doesn't happen to you, it happens for you. Wow. There's a reason why, perhaps, you've experienced some setbacks in your life, so you could learn from that. You're not a victim of it, you're the victor when it happens, as long as you can learn from it and move on. And you have to understand that when you suffer, or when you fail, it's not you that suffers, it's really your ego that suffers. And your ego and you as a human being, they're two different things. They're two completely different things. And if you can realize that and separate that, it's it's very powerful. And 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 I usually close out my, you know, I'll close out my advice for your listeners on this topic with two other thoughts of, you know, that fear of failure that you feel in your belly before you go try something in life, it's not there to scare you. It's there to tell you that something is worth it. It's a signal. It's like an internal GPS to say, well, that must be worth trying because I'm having palpitations over it. <laughs> And and finally you just have to remember that failure is a key part of your life portfolio. It just is. It's all how you reframe it in your mind and, and move forward.
2: God. This is crazy. This is so so okay. So that I want you to reiterate on that those three things you said you can only fail at. You said when you quit?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. There really there's only three. When you quit, when you don't improve, or when you never try?
2: Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's
0: how that's how you fail. That's how you fail by the definition of you know the word.
2: If that isn't the definition of reframing failure, I don't know what else is because everybody has that <laughs> wrong idea of what failure is. It's like, but I'm going to fall. I'm going to, I'm going to get the F. I'm going to like people going to laugh at <laughs> me. But then when you quit, when you don't improve and when you don't try, you're actually failing. You're failing yourself. Right. Yeah.
0: Wow. Exactly right. That's exactly right.
2: <laughs> oh my goodness. This is, this is, I love this job because I get to learn from people like you. I get to learn from people <laughs> like you. Um, right okay. back at you. Oh my gosh! So now, now that as you as you've written this book and you've seen that seventy percent, my goodness, seventy percent of people are this disengaged. Do you feel like there's some onus on this that goes to the leader? You know, are, are they? Because you talked about evocation. Is there a responsibility of them to evoke that in their employees, or is it a two way thing?
0: Oh, a- absolutely. There's responsibility, and that's you. You, uh, you put a pin in the dichotomy of what I've written about. So the. The book that, you know, the anti-muses and um, how you can overcome each one of them. That's from my brand new book that's coming out October 12th, Find the Fire, Ignite Your Inspiration and Make Work Exciting Again. That's for the employees. My first book, Make It Matter, How Leaders and Managers Can Motivate by Creating Meaning, that gets at your question, Tayo. Mm. That talks about how leaders do have a role in creating the kind of environment that is fulfilling meaningful, and inspiring for their constituents. And in in, uh, in Make It Matter, I talk about um, the markers of meaning, the the conditions that you can create as a leader in and that foster meaning, in and at work, in the work you do, and at the place that you do the work. And I, I talk an awful lot about um, how you can facilitate a sense of learning and growth, how you can help people articulate what they want their purpose to be in their job and in life, and what they want the legacy to be. In the job that they're actually in. you know, How, how many of us have a, ever have time to stop and say, in the job I'm doing right now, and yes, even Tayo, as you're doing, as told by nomads, what do you want your legacy to be with the work you're doing? We so oftentimes don't have time to think about that, but what if your boss asked you that question? And what if you crafted a work plan that was filled with work that helped you accomplish the legacy you wanted to leave behind in your job? So, yeah, I talk... Uh, To answer your question directly, it is absolutely the leader's responsibility to have a a role in this. And my dream is to have a world where I'm creating the kind of leaders that know how to create an environment where they're passionate through my work and the work in the book, Make It Matter. And then you couple that with self-starting employees that aren't necessarily waiting around for their leader and don't depend on that. And they figure out how to ignite their own fire through the book. Find the fire. And if I can get both of those things working, I think I will be leaving a legacy that I'm targeting in my own professional life at this point.
2: Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> I will definitely make sure to put the, uh, both links to the books in, in the show notes. And you, you're so right. There is a dichotomy. I mean, and, and it's the interesting paradox that we love, uh, We live. <laughs> a lot of the world is a paradox. But it's the idea, yes, a leader has responsibility to make it matter, make wrap people around the mission. But also people, us individually, we have to be self-starters, self-disciplined people to be able to, to do what matters to us. And, and, and (laughs) when the leader's making it matter and you're doing what's mattering to you, you, there's that interesting, uh, you know, Venn diagram where you're in the, their intersection and it all works. And those are the companies that they're the ones that you, you can make a movement. You can inspire people. You don't have to tell them to, to recruit people to come to the company. They're doing it for you. And, um, I think a lot of the world needs that today, and it's not even just on a company level, on a, on a straight up leadership, country uh, <laughs> uh, institution where a lot of us have to remind ourselves what it is that motivates us as human, and we have to let go of our pride of of what it is that that divides us, and and see see through that because um, you know it shouldn't have to come to crisis to unite us. It should we should just mm. think of that on a normal day. But that's another well podcast. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's for another day. Well said, yeah. Tyler. Well said.
2: <laughs> um, wow. So hey, we're we're coming up here on, on uh, over thirty minutes, but I wanted to to uh, ask you a couple more questions. One around, obviously, you you alluded to it earlier. Your legacy. You want to be re- remembered um, for someone that's inspired people to to just continue to you know go after it, tap into what what makes them motivated, but. Why? Why do you think this is your why? Um, this is a Simon Sinek question. Why is this your why?
0: Yeah, very, very, very good question. And, and you know, I'm always very careful uh, to articulate the difference between, you know, purpose and legacy. And, and purpose is, in fact, our profound why. You know, why are we doing what we're doing for, for what higher order reason? And, of course, legacy, the way I put it is, um, it's our profound what. That's the two, you know, what are you going to do to help bring your purpose to life? And for me, you know, I articulate my legacy as wanting to inspire someone every single day, every single day of my life. And it really boils down to, you know, Tyo, what I realized in the corporate world and why I ultimately left was that my heart lies, lies, and I suspect it does with you too, in some form. Of wanting to help people become the best versions of themselves. Yep. And I realized that as you know, look, it's like as proud as I was of the business numbers I was putting up at uh Procter and Gamble, I I mean I I literally ran some of their largest multi-billion dollar businesses, as you said in the opening. That's all cool. But what was really getting me up in the morning, I realized was the people that would write me a note five years later after being in my organization and saying, you know, dude, like you made a difference to me and here's here's how and here's why. And those types of things I discovered were really what was sustaining my motivation over the long haul. You know, it wasn't the perks, it wasn't the pay, it wasn't the promotions. It was the profundity of what the imprint I was making on people's lives. And so that's why I think of my legacy in that fashion.
2: Oh, oh, that's a beautiful thing. Um, and and you're, I think the distinction – has to be made with the idea of what's important to you and what's important to the world. And I've been, you know, there are a lot of cultures, right? This company uh, is founded on cross-cultural communication. A lot of, of um, cultures where success is often external-driven and it's not internally driven. It's it's based on what society, what your family, and what people think of you. And as a result of that, as, as, as decades and, and centuries of, of that type of thinking has been drummed into us, Sometimes we lose a sense of ourselves, and I think a lot of what you're talking about and what's in your book reminds us that hey, you know, we do matter, right? And yeah, it's right. important for us to get there because we need to be engaged in whatever we do. I mean, it, it is it is it is very very sad to me if if we can't be fully engaged in something we spend most of our lives doing. So I want to just say thank you for reminding us of that because a lot of times we don't even. Realize that this has been ingrained to us from a, from an early age, whether it is unconsciously or consciously. And um, your book is a good reminder of that.
0: Thank you so much, Ty. Okay. I, I believe that with every fiber of my being.
2: Uh-huh. No, thank you so much. And and since we're talking about legacy and we're, we're wrapping up here, um, my mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. So that that's the foundation mm-hmm. of everything I do. That's you know my existence, my why, if you will, is to um, help develop the next set of global leaders by helping them connect across cultures, connect and communicate. So I like to ask my guests this, uh, how they use their difference to make a difference. How are you using your difference to make a
0: difference? Yeah, re- really well said. I think, um you know, first of all, I, by the way, I love that mission. I mean, it's just so well put because so many of us think that our differences make us lesser than when they actually make us greater than. So good for you, first of all. For me, for my, um you know, my difference, I think. I realized, uh, early on in the corporate life that I've been, um, I guess I've been, I've been blessed with the gift of, um, speaking from stage. So, and, and, and writing in a way that people can consume what I read and understand and, and take value from it. So my differences of being able to articulate my thoughts in the spoken and written word and doing so with heart and compassion and humanity, um, I think is, is the difference that I bring to the world. And when I can help inspire other people through the spoken and through the written word, I feel like I am making a difference uh, to to your question.
2: Yeah, no, there's no doubt that you are, Scott. Where can we find out more about your book, your books, (laughs) your, 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 (laughs) your, your columns and everything that you're up to?
0: Ah, thank you uh, for asking about that. The best place is uh, ScottMautz dot com. I don't even think you have to say the www anymore, Tyler. I think that's gone by the wayside. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's just it's uh, ScottMautz dot com. S C O T T M A U uh, T Z You could find out about my uh, the keynotes that I give. Uh, you can find out about my new book, Find the Fire, coming out October twelfth and the other books I've written, uh, articles. You can, your listeners can also download all kinds of free leadership tools that I offer, uh, on the site as well. So scottmouts.com.
2: I love it. Love it. And yeah, the book will be out by the time the, um, the podcast will be out by the time the book is out. So, um, really, really thank you for that. And all that will be in the show notes, but I, once again, I can't really reiterate enough how important your, your presence here has been. And, um, it, it was definitely a great conversation and, and I'm hoping that, um, it inspires a lot of people to to remember their greatness, to use the difference to make a difference, but also to uh, um, you know to fight against just anti-muses.
0: That's exactly right. Remember, your differences make you greater than, not lesser than. So, thanks for having me on the show, Tayo.
2: Well said. All right, ladies and gentlemen, till next week. Use your difference to make a difference.
0: You've
1: just been listening to the ass Told by Nomads. Podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxen.com. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course.